What's happening? This is the Tap In Podcast. We are live inside of the Tap In studio. Man, I got a special guest in the building. Miss Starling, how you doing? What's up? What's up? What's going on? I'm good. I'm blessed. Yes. I'm here breathing. Yes. Explain. Thank you for tapping in with us. We appreciate it. I appreciate you for having me on the Absolutely. show. Absolutely. So, for those who don't know, Starling, you're a, a documentarian, if you will. Yeah, Correct? I'm a filmmaker. I'm okay. A filmmaker. So, writer and director. And, okay. And currently in production of my first feature documentary. Okay. Okay, so... um. I got introduced to you by your brother, right? He was a guest on our show, um, Joseph from the Home Team Records. And he was telling me about you, and I was like, wait, what? She did what? I want to hear the story. And I, so I reached out to him. He put us in connection. And for those who don't know, you went to jail for letting somebody use your account. Is that am I? Right. I went oh, to prison. To prison. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Which I was in jail first, but then I went to prison, so there is a difference. Okay, God. So I want to start from the beginning, though, right? So, as a little kid, what kind of were you like? Ever get into any kind of trouble, or what kind of kid were you? No, I never got into any trouble. I was, I was a, I walked a straight line. I had a very strict mom, um, but I can say that the criminal legal system has been a part of my life since I was eight years old. Um, even further back, if you want to go back into my father, but from witnessing a police officer brutally beat my mother at a doctor's office in Pantago, Texas, when I was eight years old in front of me. What, okay, so can you, what happened? So y'all were in the doctor's office, and then what happened when the police was even called. So, it was my mom, me, and I, my brother was two at the time. Um, not the brother, but you know, I got six brothers. Oh, okay. 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 <laughs> we got same daddy, different mama. Okay. okay. <laughs> but we okay. still blessed, so yeah. it doesn't even matter. But, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, my, um, I don't know, you know, what was really going on all the way in my mom's brain at the time, her mentality, her mindset, you know, she was a single mother, single black mother, dealing with whatever. Um, we went into the doctor's office, we were waiting, she was waiting to be seen. It was, time just kept ticking and ticking and ticking. My brother was running around causing a ruckus, he was like two, you know, my two-year-old dude. Um, she got frustrated and she went up to the front and she told the lady, like, I need my medical records. Uh, can you give me copies of my medical records because I don't want to you know, come to the doctor's office anymore, yada, yada, yada. So from that point, she tells me, go put your brother in a car. So I step outside to go put my brother in the car. I only have what she told me what happened, right? And she told me that she was asking this white woman um, for her records. And the woman said, it's 25 cents a copy. She said, well, I don't have 25 cents a copy. Can you bill me? And the woman started getting an attitude, getting irate. And she said, well, if you don't leave, I'm going to call the cops. And so my mom said, well, call the cops. This is, you know, in the 90s, call the cops. Because obviously there'll be more, um, you know, understanding than you are right now. Mm -hmm. So I'm as I'm buckling my brother into his car seat, I see a cop pull in, like, and, like, speed up, up on, hop up on the curb, jump out like it's robbery or something. You know, so I'm like... What's going on? But I'm you still doing what my mama told me to do, put my brother in the seat, you know. So he runs into the uh, doctor's office, and 
I, I don't know, it might have been a minute or two minutes after I see my mom coming out and she pushes the door open. When she pushes the door open, I see the cop behind her. And next thing I know, the cop is snatching her and throwing her on the ground and then the door closes. So I run into the, you know, mind you, my brother's still in the car, but it's right there in front. I mm -hmm. run into the into the doctor's office and I see this cop on top of my mama just pounding on her head. So in that moment, I'm screaming, get off my mom, get off my mom, I hate you, get off my mom. Um, and you're eight years old. I'm eight years old. Eight years old. So after that, you know, my, they get my mom up. She's handcuffed in a in on a seat. Um, she's bleeding out of her ear, and you know, my mom said she didn't say this, but forgive me, mom. Be hundred percent. She told the cop, like, "You lucky I can't get your gun, or I would have shot your ass." And I'm like, "No, don't say that." <laughs> But, um, you know, either way, by that point, she was never violent with him, right? If, if I'm a child and I'm seeing you, my mom was walking out of the door. She was literally pushing the door open. So what she told me, she said when she was walking out, because the cop told her, um, you know, ma'am, well, she's not going to give you the medical records, so you might as well, you know, just leave. I can't really do anything about it. So she said she muttered under her breath, you know, unreasonable bitch, under her breath. She's like, I never said it to really you know, say say it to, to anybody, I was saying it to myself. But it's not against a lot of cuts, right? right? So in what form or fashion did you feel that you had to use physical violence in order to get, she was walking out of the door. You know, you weren't called there because anything criminal was going on. Right. Um, and I just remember they took her to jail, they took my brother and I to the station. And I remember the cop was, in the back laughing about it and he had a scratch on his face very he was very pink that's what i do remember. he was really pink and red and he had one scratch right here and they were taking pictures and i remember joke they hear them joking saying why didn't anybody tell us that she had mental illness why didn't anybody say anything about that and they, it was it was a joke to them so they charged my mom um with uh assault and battery of a peace officer all cops, peace officers, mm -hmm. you know, they do nothing. Nothing about peace. <laughs> nothing about peace. Peaceful. Yeah. So from that time, you know, my mother was, she got out. Um, she I went to jail? She did. It was like, you know, until she bonded out. Okay. Um, my stepfather at the time, uh, they were actually going through a divorce, but he came and picked us up. And um, I remember, I don't remember too much about the court proceedings or like what was going on, but um she ended up taking a deal for eight years of probation which is a long time long long time um but i guess the the deal was if you do the eight years probation then we'll drop these charges to a misdemeanor is what you know i learned later on and about i want to say six or seven years into that probation she got pregnant with my youngest brother and she couldn't afford the fees you know she couldn't afford the fees and the judge told her, well, you, you, you can afford to have relations because she was pregnant. And she went to report like she normally do. And, you know, she didn't have the money to pay. So they incarcerated her right then. And she uh, had my youngest brother in the Texas Department of uh, Corrections uh, handcuffed and chained to a bed. What? Yeah. So I, I had actually went to Florida um, with family myself my, uh, my other two brothers we were in Florida we flew 
uh, after she had my brother be free to pick him up from Galveston, she was in the prison in Galveston. Um, and that was traumatizing. You know, I went and saw my mom. I didn't really get to talk to her. She did a, she did a year. She had to finish out the rest of her probation sentence, um, you know, in prison. And then I remember I was, what, 15, taking help and take care of my two-year-old brother and the newborn baby at that time. So it was a lot, you know. So you, you grew up fast in that aspect where you're now a motherly figure versus like a big sister. Mm -hmm. God. What did they end up charging her with? Do you even Assault know? battery. So it went from being what the deal was was a misdemeanor, then it went to being a felony. And so for so many years, I mean, I, I'm, I ain't gonna put my age in dirty stone. Everybody's good. Um, <laughs> all of these years, she's still been battling with that, right? Because that never goes away. It's a violent crime. So trying to find jobs and employment, and they, they don't want to hire you because you have this violent background. And so it stuck. That, that, that deal went out the window. And so. I, you know, once I got caught up in my situation, I always asked her, like, why did you take that deal? Why did you, if you knew you didn't do anything, why did you take that deal? And she said, well, they, I had a public defender and I didn't feel like I would be represented properly. And they told me that if I didn't take this deal, I would do 10 years. And they threatened to say, well, do you want to spend 10 years away from your kid? And so she said, at the time, she thought that was the best thing that she had. So in, during that time, like, you know, Seeing my mama in, those, in that circumstance, in that situation, going to see her, that was very traumatizing. And in the letters, like, I, I think I maybe talked to her on the phone one time in that time frame, but she would write me all the time. And I don't know, you know, if she should have told me all of the things that she was going through, but I think for her, it was just like, well, I don't have nobody else to talk to to tell this to. So she would write me all the time and send me, you know, like when we incarcerated, I got to draw artists. There's a lot of very intelligent, smart, artistic people out there. Um, and so there was a lot of things that she told me that she was going through. TDC, one of the worst, right? Any TDC prison, one of the worst as a state prison. Um, and so from that time, my biggest fear, like, was going to prison, going to jail. My father had been in and out kind of for various reasons, you know. Um, and so for me, it was like, I got to do everything I can to not ever go to jail, not ever go to prison. Like, so I got to go to college. I got to get educated. I got to get money, you know, the right way. I'm not going to be out here doing nothing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now I don't want to get a ticket. I don't want to do, you know, and everybody is human. Like, that's the one thing, like every person on this planet has committed a crime at some point just because of the way that they set these laws up. Yeah. Um, you just haven't been caught. That's the only difference. So like that was a huge, huge fear for me. Um, and then when I got to college, my first time ever being arrested, I was I was in a domestic violence situation. You know, it is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, so I gotta shout that out. Um, I was in college and I was in a relationship with a much older man and ended up getting arrested with him. And the cops saw, I mean, I had bruises, I had burns, my hair was cut off and the cops didn't help me. And they didn't help me at all, you know? so. They asked me if he was my pimp. And I'm like, so what you now you're trying to criminalize me even more than and you see that I need assistance. You see that I'm battered and bruised and, and messed up. And so I've never had trust in the legal system. Police, legal system, lawyers, public defenders, like even with my case, I, I didn't trust them. I, you know, I still even to this day, and I only say this because now the statute of limitation has ran out on my case, but I never was even 100% honest with, with them because I don't trust y'all. Y'all still get a check 
from them. So I don't, I don't trust it. Yeah. So I, let's not. I don't want to fast forward. I don't want to speed you up, but I want to go back. So, how long? God damn. So I'm just because <laughs> I, I yes. So because I'm just I'm just imagining myself at eight years old watching the police beat up my mom because she wanted some fucking medical records. Yeah. And I'm guessing this is a, a big dude or or they don't I don't even care. It's a man fighting a woman inside of a medical thing. Um, did you did they never press your mom never like sought any like legal for assault or anything on the police department? You gotta understand this is at a time when social justice was not a topic. You know, like we What year what year was this, do you think? Uh like ninety six, maybe ninety seven. Okay. So after Rodney King Yeah, so all, Rodney but People gotta understand, like, Rodney King happened, but, like, that was a rare incident. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't like now. We didn't have cell phones and access to the internet and to post this and hashtag that. We didn't have that. So she was just a black woman. Nobody gave a damn about it. And that was just what it was. So she did the best that she could in that time period. And, and she, you know, so no, she, she said she, she didn't have any support. She didn't know what to do. She did reach out to the NAACP. Nobody got back to her. Nobody wanted to help with the situation. So she just took the free deal and, and, and went on. And she still ended up becoming incarcerated. And it's now, all these years later, that my mother is really dealing with and healing from that trauma. And it's only because... I went through it, and I'm not going to be sorry. You know what I'm saying? So I feel like I have to be the voice for her and for all the other women who have been through so much, and they don't get to talk about it. And now, you know, I have a platform, and so that's why I feel like it's my duty to elevate these stories. Mm-hmm. Was that your, your mother's first time being incarcerated? Yeah. Like, I mean, I think she probably been in trouble here and there, you know, mm-hmm. little minor stuff, nothing like that, though. No, not certain times like that. I can't even imagine, like the 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 amount of hate in my heart for police officers in general will be just through the roof because I'm I'm eight years old and my first interaction with the police at all is them beating up my mom. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't even I couldn't even imagine, and I can understand you not trusting if that's your first reaction. You know what I mean? Um, and I was watching this, it's ironic that you're talking about this because I was just watching a video of 85 South Show, shout out to them, their podcast. And they were talking about back in the day when little kids got in trouble or something happened, they would take them through like some kind of program or your mom would come pick you up and they'll release you, you know what I mean? Versus now where they are charging kids as adults and school to prison pipeline. Yeah. Where, because I, I remember my first time getting involved with the police, like interacting with the police. We were in LA. We were we crossed the street. It was a major street um, to go to the gas station. The police pulled up on us and was like, "Yo, y'all want some baseball cards?" I'm probably like in sixth or seventh grade. They're like, "Y'all want some baseball cards?" We was like, "Hell yeah, we want some baseball cards." We go to his trunk, he pull out a ticket book and write us all a ticket for jaywalking. Wow. And for me at that time, 
to be lied to. And I like as a kid, you get like, oh yeah, baseball cards. And then he tell us, yo, here's your baseball card. Here's your base. And it was a ticket. And we had to go to all the court. And I was like, why would an adult lie to us? Why would he lie to us? Like, like we didn't know we were doing anything wrong. We were just a bunch of kids running across the street going to the gas station. And that that set up a distrust where I can't trust anything they say now. You know what I mean? It set up that kind of precedent going forward for the police. Whatever they say, I can't trust them now because they may lie to me. And I got to make sure. They always lie. Man. Okay, so after this, you got you go to Florida with your with extended family or? Yeah, my okay. aunt, mom, and uncle, they live in Florida. My grandparents um, live in Florida as well. Okay. Yeah. And did, after the mom, your mom did do a year in jail? When she comes out, do you guys go back with her or? Yeah, so we went back for a little bit. Um, and then I decided that, you know, I knew that if I didn't get kind of out of that circumstance that the life that I wanted for myself wasn't going to happen. So I decided that I was going to go stay with my grandparents. Because going to Florida kind of showed me a little bit of a different lifestyle, right? So I was like, if I want to go to college, if I want to do the things that I imagine and see in my head for myself, um, I kind of got to get out of this situation. So I, I made that sacrifice, left my brothers, went to Florida, graduated. How old are you at this time? Uh, mom. When you when you make all these decisions, like <laughs> for my life in the future, sixteen. I just knew that, you know, like I grew up in a family where it's like I know I don't know what I want to do, but I'm not going to do that. Mm. So I need to figure out what I'm going to do for myself, and so that's why I made the decision. You know, being in Florida, my my, my family in Florida had they were affluent, right? At the time, they had money. Um, it was a it was a valuable lesson because I've seen I've been poor and I've been around wealth right and I knew that it was possible that's the one thing that a lot of our youth they they never get that opportunity to see that it's even possible so I do if you can have a mansion I had an uncle who played in Major League Baseball right at the time he was the nineties he was like that who you know shout out to Cecil Fielder. A lot of people who <laughs> that's your own family Cecil yeah Fielder? yeah really yeah so my oh, so my auntie. Um, my mama's sister, they were married young or whatever, so that's, you know, my auntie is my blood and the marriage is my uncle, but he's my godfather as well, so, okay. you know, he's very close to me. Um, so I saw, I, I, it was a totally different lifestyle, right? They had Bentley's mansions, I mean, like, everything, right? So it's like, wow, like, I can really do this. <laughs> so I decided, you know, like, I, I want to... Um, I want to go to college, and so I, I moved in with my grandparents, and, and that was the stability that I needed, you know, at that time. And I was able to graduate. I lived in the state of Florida. I was like, if I want to go to school for free, I got to pick a place in Florida. And that's why I chose to go to Florida A&M. Shout oh, out to family. Okay, yeah, shout out to family, HBCU. Yeah. Yeah. And so once you get to fam, is this where you were you talking about when you had a domestic? Correct, yeah. So he wasn't a student. Uh, he was actually a rapper. Um, is he famous now? Do we know? You probably know him. Okay, we'll talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> if you a hip hop head, okay. you you know who this is. Okay. Um, but there, when I met him, his his career was already on decline. 
right? Mm-hmm. And he was much older than me, like eight years older than me. So I didn't even know who he was when I met him in the club. I didn't know. My okay. homegirl did. Like, she was trying to holler. I was trying to hook them up. And he mm-hmm. was like, I don't want you. I mean, I don't want her. I want, I want you. So, um, yeah, so that's when that domestic violence situation happened. I had got arrested for possession. Um, and then I was um, living in a, in a domestic violence shelter. My attorney at the time, when I called her and let her know what was going on, she was representing both of us. Um, she was like, oh, I'm done with him. Don't give me no more money. I got you. Like I did the drug court program, um, which was basically just complete scare program. And I, I could have came back to Texas. A couple things I didn't was one, they told me it was a two-year program in Texas. So I was like, nah. I'll stay where it's one. And then I didn't want to give up on my dream of finishing college, right? Like, I, I went to Tallahassee for a reason. And I would feel like a failure if I left and I didn't have my degree when I left. So that's why I decided to stay. Dug it out. You know, I ended up getting, um, I, I'm, I'm very, I'm a researcher. Like, I I, I, I got to find out. I know some scholarships out here for women like me, right? So <laughs> found a scholarship. Um, shout out to the uh, Women's Independent Scholarship Program. Um, they gave me like three or four grand a semester until I graduated after all that happened. So that was enough. That wasn't towards school. That was just for me to pay bills. Mm. Um, and so that, you know, helped me get back on my feet and get a place and all of that. So, and then I was using that story to help elevate other women because a lot of people don't know, but 18 to 24 is actually the, the number one age group of, of young women that go through domestic violence. Um, yeah, especially I'm in college. I ain't got no family. None of my brothers out here. My daddy ain't out here. Yeah. You know, my mama not out here. Nobody can really get to me, right? Yeah. So you on your own, you by yourself. That that time frame is, is real um, big. So and then I started speaking around campus and talking to different sororities and getting involved in organizations and the and the um, domestic violence shelter that I was at. I ended up interning with a couple years later. I'm real big on taking those types of situations and turning them around for good. You know. I'm a believer of God, and in, in, in His Word, He says that He will turn those situations that were meant for bad into good. I'm living proof of that. Can you, um, if you don't mind, I don't know if this may be a, a rough subject for you, but can you tell your story? What was the first time dude put his hands on you, or when you was like, talk us through that? Yeah, um, no, he. It, we were actually almost like two years into the relationship. Before he actually physically put his hands on me, but um, if you really dive into domestic violence, it starts way before they put their hands on you. Mm. So it starts with mental, emotional, breaking you down, that type of abuse. Um, And then it turns into physical. So the first time, it was like a mush, right? And I grew up in kind of that violence, that trauma, that's like normal, right? We grow up, especially black and brown families, we grow up thinking that that's normal, like you you get slapped up, you get, like that's normal. And so for the people who don't know what a mush is, it's it's (laughs) Yeah, so it's a a mush, right? So, so, you know, I'm not thinking that that a mush, my mama didn't mush me, you know, that's that's not something that, that turns into anything really, so um, from that, I swear, it was literally like two weeks. So I wasn't in school. Uh, it was summertime, and I wasn't in school. So that's why I feel like he was kind of able to do what he did because I wasn't going out and about, you know. Um, like maybe happened like in the summer or something. It was the summer. It was right okay. after. It was right after school had got out in the spring. So it was summertime. I wasn't taking summer classes, and um, so from that bush, 
it, it like escalated literally in two weeks to him locking me in the house, um, like brutally beating me up, choking me till I passed out. I literally thought I was gonna die, cutting all my hair off, burning my hair. Uh, he you burned know, your hair? Yeah, so he, he tied, he held me down on top of me, um, took hairspray, sprayed it all around my hair till it was like, my hair was matted like a dog. And then he, he took a, a, a lighter and started to light it, you know, and then he choked himself. Yeah, it, 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 it escalated very, very quickly. And at that time, I knew I wanted to get out, right? And that was the biggest thing. And I want a lot of the, the women who are listening right now, like, everybody, it was one thing I wanted to talk to people. Why would have did this? Why would have did that? No, you don't know what you would have done at all in that situation. And when somebody has you so scared for your life and then they tell you, I know where your mama stay, I know where your daddy stay, I can get them knocked off, I can get, you know, so it's like one of those things like, I want to leave, but how do I get out of this? The cops ain't going to help me. The neighbors downstairs, I know y'all hear me scream. Nobody called to cops. Nobody came. Nobody came to see about me. Um, you know, and it was, it was so crazy because I just remember that last time. Um, we were driving from, I lost my apartment. I felt like six months behind on my car. Um, we were we were driving from Tallahassee to Albany, Georgia. Uh, it's like an hour and a half. That's where he was from. That's where his mom stayed. And I just remember that whole way up there, like screaming out to God in my head, like I gotta, you gotta help me, I gotta get out of this. And uh, he went to the store, he bought a pocket of cigarettes just to burn me. At that point, I had he, he burned me with hot food. Like it just was, it was. It, you know, you don't know what to do. You don't know what to say. You don't know how to act. You don't know. You don't know because you. You know, I've never been in that situation before. So um, that ride up the whole way, mental, physical abuse. Um, we get to his mother's house. Pull up. Maybe had less than a quarter tank of gas. Um, by that time, I had already been arrested. He was smoking smoking dirties. For people who don't know, that's putting. I don't know if that in Florida that's what they called it, but he would put coke in a in a in a blunt with me, mm. and that's what they call it. I don't know what they call it. Dirties. Dirties. I don't know what they call it. I don't know what they call it. But um, he I, it was two dollars. It was one dollar that had the weed, one dollar that had the coke. At that point, I was already on my program, right, for being arrested for possession. So I, I'm not smoking nothing, you know, mm. or doing anything. I'm, I'm walking a straight line, and so he gets out the car. Um, this time, he takes my phone but not the key. And of course, he's not gonna bring me into his mama house looking, he literally cut my hair off again as I have two black eyes. Um, he's not gonna bring me inside his mama house because she know what kind of son she got, but he ain't gonna just put it in her face like that, right? Mm. So he hands me the $2 bills with the drugs in it, he goes inside. I, I look in the mirror and I'm like, this is not who I am. Like, I don't, this, like I, I got, this is my time right now. Like, what do I do, what do I do, right? I'm sweating, I'm drenched, I don't, it was nothing but God that took control. I took the weed and the coke and each dollar, I dusted it off outside the window. I didn't know where the police station there was and the fact that he was like, you know, semi-famous, especially in his town. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't trust going to the cops. I didn't know I didn't have a GPS back then to get me to where I was going. So I knew where the police station was at Tallahassee. So I drove off and I stopped at the gas station. I put that $2 in the tank. I found a, a head scarf that I had in the trunk, wrapped my head up and went straight to the police station in Tallahassee. And I remember uh, when I was walking in, there was a young man named Jason. He used to date my, one of my homegirls. Were you walking in the police station? Yeah, walking into the police station. This is just shows you how real God is. Walking into the police station, I see him coming out. 
And he's like, what's up? And I'm like, what's up? And then I'm like, what you what you up here for? And he's like, oh, man, I got a stalker. I got a woo. And he's like, what you coming here for? And I just broke down. I took the scarf off my head, and I just broke down. And so he's like, he went in his pocket. He gave me every dollar he had in his pocket. And he was like, I'm so sorry. He worked at T-Mobile at the time. He said, listen, when you get done doing what you're doing right now, come to T-Mobile, I'm going to get you a phone. So I thought I had a phone. I can't call nobody else. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a blessing. I think he may have given like fifteen dollars, but back in two thousand nine, that's that's that go a lot longer than it do now, right? <laughs> but um, so yeah. I went into the police station. I made a report. They took pictures of me. They said, "Well, we can't press charges here because uh, you you weren't in this county when it happened, right?" So they they did the report. They pushed it up. They said, "I'm gonna send it to to somebody, an investigator in in Albany." I said, well, I don't know where to go. I don't have no, I don't have, I don't have no, no family here. Like, I don't know where to go. So they said, well, there's a domestic violence shelter here. It's called Refuge House. You know, go call, use the take home right there to call this number. Uh, see if they got beds for you. And I called if they had a bed. And I got out alive, thankfully. I feel like if I would have stayed in Egypt, mom, he would kill me. Even if it wasn't intentional, he would have killed me. There were times when, you know, he I, he made me take off all my clothes, get in the tub, and point a gun at my head to me. It was, it was that deep, so I knew that if I didn't get out at that time, that my life was in jeopardy. God, how, long, how long was you with this guy? Two years. So in that so within those two years, all this happened? No, this was in like in a, in a few months. So from the time he put the mush to locking me in, that was two weeks. And then from the time I knew that I wanted to get out, it was probably two months. So it was like. I got out probably in August, like it was like in July, then August I, I was able to escape. I knew I had to get out. There was no just staying here. And the craziest thing is because he had my phone. So when I left, he's calling my father and telling my father that um, I ran away, I was a prostitute, I'm on drugs. Yeah, so by the time I finally got to talk to my people, they looked like, what? And I'm like, no, that's not, that's not what's going on here. This is what's going on right now. But I'm out. I'm free. I'm. I'm. I'm trying to get better and figure this out and move my life forward. I just want to tell you. I know we're gonna continue on, but I want to tell you, you don't look nothing like with everything that you're going through. All these stories, like it is truly like a blessing that you made it out. You know what I mean? Out of all this stuff, because. Just looking at you, I wouldn't be able to tell any of this. You know what I mean? Right. And I'm just like blown away right now because I can't even imagine. But I, I, I'm sure there's other women that are going through something similar or the same as you went through. And so once you, God damn. <laughs> I didn't mean to come in here and mess you up. <laughs> no, that's all good. That's but all good. It, it, do, it make you realize when you see people, you never know their story. Right. Don't judge a book by its cover because, yeah, I'm, I'm fly today, but y'all don't know what I've been through to get to this, you mm-hmm. know? So, yeah. So once you um, are able to get a phone, go to the, to the, the shelter... Does he ever try to contact you, or do he ever try to get back in contact with you? Absolutely. At that time, this was my space days. Probably eight mm. months over. No, this was my space days. So um, he definitely was sending messages on my space and, and, and trying to get back. Um, what was he saying? Because I can't even imagine. Like, what do you say after you put me through all this, nigga? What do you want? Like, I'm done. You know, it's a, it's a, 
there's something wrong with people like that. They're narcissistic. They don't ever take responsibility. Like, it's very rare that a man who does that kind of abuse, which it continues to happen with other women after me, and it obviously I'm happened sure. prior to me, right? They don't take accountability. So they never get better at all. And, just, and so he'll say whatever he thinks he can say. I mean, I, 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 I don't know. At, you know, at that time, I just was like, dude, I'm bald-headed. I got black eyes. I got scars that's probably going to be here for the rest of my life. Like, what about that, right? So he's not acknowledging any of that. But I was safe at that shelter. He didn't know where I was. Um, my biggest concern was that he knew where I went to school. He knew where my classes was. He knew where the building that my, my classes were in. And so that was my biggest concern, that he would show up. But, you know, he was broke. So it's hard to find a broke person. They ain't got none of their name, right? I'm trying to get a restraining order. I'm going to court. He not showing up. They can keep. I would have to go every single month to get because it's just temporary. I gotta go every month to court to get the, the next restraining order. The next that's exhausting, mm -hmm. you know. So after a couple months, I'm like, well, you know, I got my apartment. I'm like, hopefully, I know he ain't got nobody to, to try to find where I'm at. Only thing was school. So, um, you know, he still kept trying to reach out. I remember I, it probably was two years later he had his new girlfriend saying can i uh write a letter to the judge because that case that we had caught he never went and dealt with it i dealt with it he never went and dealt with it he wanted me to write a letter saying that you know everything was mine and that was crazy everything is yours what do you mean the drugs oh <laughs> boy you'll get your ass out of here right, right. so so the um the police officer investigator, the detective, I don't know what they call him, but he reached out the one from Albany. He read my police report and everything, saw the pictures. Uh, he, he, he knew who he was and said, oh no, we absolutely are pressing charges. So he ended up pressing charges, but they never could find him. So, I mean, a few years passed, you know, and I was graduating. So I don't know whatever happened. I probably got dismissed because I never went back to, I don't know, I don't know, but you know, it is what it is. I mean. He still probably, I think he went to prison again after that. I saw one of the girlfriends he had, he was biting her and doing all kind of crazy stuff. Like, and, but the biggest thing for me was, um, I, so we had taken, I don't know if they kind of popping anymore, but they like to shave them back in the day. Yeah, they still, so they still, they still got yeah, some stuff. They, still they, probably, they probably get a little bit more shadier now than they were back then. <laughs> but um, I remember, because he kept telling people that I did this to myself, right? And she kind of won't care because she was crazy. She, she did, she that, she on drugs, she whatever. So I sent an email and I was like, yo, you care about this dude, about what he doing? And they're like, yeah. So I said, well, let me let me tell you a story. So I sent them all the pictures and, and did a write-up and they put it out and reached over like 500,000 people on the website. And some people were like, why would you do that? And I'm like, because what you're not gonna do is discredit my character when you crazy as hell, bro. Like, so, I mean, at that point, it didn't really matter. No, no, in Finch, she wasn't dealing with him. He already lost his record label, like, and, you know, so. But for me, it felt good. <laughs> yeah, the release. Yeah. Are, I'm going to ask, are you comfortable saying who he was? Or are you? I mean, not? I can. I mean, I know. It, it, so my thing, here's my thing. I want to protect you, right? And mm -hmm. I don't want any leaguering thing or family or something so because when you leave here you go you go by yourself so yeah. i want to make sure i'm protecting you if we don't have to say his name you know what i mean but 
I would I would rather people know who he is so right. they'd be aware of it. Right. But at the same time, I am conscious of your safety. No, my you know safety's I mean? not in jeopardy. Trust me, I carry. Strap. So <laughs> okay. I, uh, I don't even want you to have to use it though. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. I don't even want that kind of. Right, no. I mean, so a lot of young people are not going to know who he is. But okay. so it, older people, you know, my generation, older people than me. So I, I know if anybody my age or older knows who Phil Bob is. Right? So it's Sean J. Mm. Yeah. Okay. The ugly one. Okay. The dark skin one and okay. then the ugly one. I, I was with the ugly one. Okay. okay. <laughs> oh shit. Okay. Man. Okay, so now you're you graduate from from fam. Mm-hmm. Um, do you stay in Florida or do you come back to Texas? No, I left two days after I graduated. I packed up all my stuff and I was out. Stuff that I seemed to me, aside from family, it, it carried a lot of trauma, right? Because that's where all that happened at. So I had to get up out of there, um, and I went. I came back to Texas, and I was struggling. I was broke. I mean, it was a recession. There were no jobs. There were nothing. You know, you go to college, and it took me longer. Um, I think almost eight years because I had, you know, dropped off for a little bit. All the stuff I had going on, like it took me some time um, to graduate. And so I thought, hey, I got this degree. I'm gonna go, you know. Get a job, do woo woo woo, and you know it's a it's a I don't, I don't even know what the word to call it, but it's like they tell you you get a degree, you know, go to school, get a degree, you get a job, but it's not the case because you get out, they want you to have experience. Well, how am I supposed to get experience if right. you don't get a job? Right. But at that time, there were no jobs. I what would you to get your degree in? Uh, in journalism, communications. Okay. Yeah. So I have a, 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 a specializing in public relations. Okay. Yeah, I wanted to go to film school, but at that time it was already too late. I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing this enough. <laughs> like, I gotta go. Um, and plus, I knew that you know a lot of the greats, the ones that I follow, like you don't need a degree to make it in the film industry. And so I was like, I'll just try to get out here and get some work. Um, so I was doing odd end jobs. You know, I would work on different productions here and there, um, waitressing. You know, doing all just whatever to try to get some money to pay bills. I, I was flat broke. Like for me, I felt like a failure because. I didn't want to depend on my people. I've been on independent. I've been on my own since I was 17. And that's one of the biggest things that, especially independent people who, who've been doing a thing, like you feel like a failure when you got to move back in with your people. And you got to go stay at this person's house or this person's house on this couch. And so for me, I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I was really depressed. Like, what's going on? Like, you know, so it, it was it was a hard time. It was a real hard time. Yeah. And so after that, where did you find, like, I guess your first entertainment or film gig? Where, where did you start from there? So I started working, um, God, I can't even think of the name right now. I started working with this woman. She had, her mom used to have this popping show back in the 80s in L.A., uh, New Generation. That's the name of the show. Okay. Um, she did, like, she had unseen footage of pop, Snoop, like, Legit, I'm over here editing this, right? Really? Like, yeah, this was the daughter. She, um, and she hosted some stuff, and so she was trying to like boost that show back up again. But it was at a time where obviously the world was in a recession, and like it was called back in the day, it was like magazine style shows, right? Mm-hmm. And nobody was really doing that. And she was trying to bring that back, and so she she was paying me out of her pocket. This was something she was trying to do, so I was working for her part time doing that. Um, then I got connected. Um, with, shout out to John. Um, 
he told me, you know, he started working, he was working with his director at Boomtown, and he said, you know, I got this opportunity, I want to put you on, um, you want to come on as a script supervisor, it was $1,000 for 10 days, $100 a day, but back then I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> you know, it, 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 that film was a learning experience, it's called Candy, it took forever to come out, y'all go watch it, it's on Amazon, I think they just shot Candy too, okay. you know, shout out to Boomtown and that whole crew. Um, there's a lot of people in that in that first one, um, and then I don't I didn't work on the second one, so I'm not for sure who's in that one. But um, that was a great learning experience for me, just to be on a set and see how all of that goes, right? But in the midst of that, in the middle of that, um, I get a call from an old college friend saying, "You want to make some money? It ain't nothing illegal." I'm like, hell yeah, I want to make some money. What you mean? I'm over here broke, sleeping on the floor. Like, yeah, I want to make some money. And she said, well, all you got to do is open up, you know, some bank accounts. And she was three bank accounts. And I said, well, I already got one. And she's like, all right, well, I'm going to send you the money um, to go open up the other two. So she did that. I opened up the bank accounts. A couple months went by. I'm still trying to find a job. I done went to Vegas. So I'm living out there with a friend for, you know, so much trying to find a job. And I just could not find nothing consistent. Um, and so that's how I was able to, to go to California. Because she said, oh, you go to California, it ain't nothing, we just open some money in your account, just take the money out, and we're going to shoot you some bread after doing it. I'm not thinking nothing. I'm like, okay, so I just you put money in my account, and then I just take money out, and, you, and then she's like, yeah, that's all you do. Okay, cool. How do they get their money? How you, you take it out and put it in their account? or No, so um, she was like, you're going to go to California. I have my own hotel my own car, rental car, or whatever, um, he would call me and say, oh, we just had, we just put deposit, go and take out this account, and then I'm going to meet you, right, mm -hmm. and then go to this bank and take out this account, I'll put the money here and go take it out, I'm not saying, I don't know who we is, right, mm -hmm. it's him, this is the person I'm dealing with. Um, so it's not the girl who called you? No, she put me in contact with her baby daddy, and then this this other dude. Okay. Right. Okay. And so I'm thinking it's them. Like I don't I don't know. I'm not asking no questions like that. She told me it was nothing illegal. I I don't know how the banking system work. You know? Um so I went the first time I went out there for a week. Um and then you know, it's different math. So I'm not, uh, math has never been my strong point, right? I'm a creative. I, I, I can add, subtract, multiply, divide, that's it. I, I don't know too much about math. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not getting all this money at one time, right? So I'm not, I'm getting an increment. So I'm not sitting here counting it up, adding, seeing what's coming in. You know what I'm saying? I don't know who's, um, I'm thinking it's, it's him putting the money in account. I don't know who is on the back end, but where is it coming from, right? Um, and I'm not the only one. There's so many, there's, 50 to 100 other people like me that were being used. Mm. Um, so I went out for one week. Uh, I got paid nothing, nothing really for what, you know, in the end when, you know, hindsight, I was 2020, it was nothing, honestly. And forgive me for saying this, but I should have rocked, but I ain't had nobody in my team. <laughs> but, so, how much money were you taking out, like, to, to give? Like 5000 6000 maybe max like eight. Right. Okay. So it wasn't like I was going in and taking thirty thousand or whatever. I think in a day maybe I had like twenty five thousand because I would go for take out this, take out that, and then I would have it. Then I would meet him and give him the money. Okay. Um, so the first time I went out there for a week, um, came back home, tried to get a job, trying to put the same thing, 
in work. I'm going to call, I'm going to come back out. Sure. Went out there for two weeks. Um, that's when I started realizing that someone right. And obviously, like I said, I wasn't around them, so I didn't know what they was doing. Like, I, I had my own space, I had my own thing. Nobody was trying to holler at me, that's big. Nobody was trying to have sex with me. Nobody, you know, nobody was bothering me. So it was like, you know, so. Um, what made you, what, what gave you that inkling like something wasn't right? The last bank I went to, um, I was supposed to leave. They kept, and he asked me if I wanted to stay. Um, and this, this person that I'm talking about is the person who was supposed to testify. Lied on me, so we'll get to that. But okay. um, I went to the bank. Actually, he picked me up. We went to eat. He's like, "Okay, I got this much put in your account for me to go get it." I went to the bank, and some felt weird. Like the bank teller was acting weird, you know. And then they would be like, "You know, what are you doing with this money?" And I'm like, "Why are you in my business? Like, mm-hmm. if you a bank teller, mind your business. Like, what does it have to do with you, right?" Um, and I remember feeling like I was being watched. And the crazy thing is when I got, almost two years later, when I got the evidence against me, that that picture, me in the bank that day, was the picture that they had of me. And so what it was is when I went into one Chase bank, they said, oh, um, so I think I'm trying to take out like 7000 or something. They said, oh, we don't have enough cash to get to Okay, whatever. <laughs> So they gave me like three grand. Then I had to go to another bank, another check bank. So I'm taking to another bank to go take money out. So I was like, all right, cool, whatever. And then that's when I was like, nah, like something's weird, right? Like, I don't know what it is, but like, why is she looking at me crazy? Why are they telling me the bank ain't got no money? Like, you know what I'm saying? So from that time, I never went back. I was like, that ain't the, the change that I get from this is not worth it whatever y'all got going on, right? So um, I never went back. And then about a year and a half later, I finally got a job. I moved back home with my mom in Louisiana. My mom lives in Lake Charles. I moved back home with her. I got a job working at Enterprise, okay? Um, and I get a call and they say, oh, somebody's calling another location for you. They're looking for you. I'm like, wait, I'm thinking it's a disgruntled customer or something. <laughs> and uh, I was like, all right, well, tell them to call. You know, call this location. So they did. I answered the phone and, and I still answered the phone. He bring out my government, whole name, bring out my date of birth, bring out my address. I'm like, who is this? And he's like, oh, this is Michael such and such from the IRS. And I'm like, IRS? Like what you what what you calling me for? And he's like, Oh, I need you to come down um and speak to me and da 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 and I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, What the fuck is going on? And so as he starts talking more, he's still not really saying nothing, right? Oh, these people target people like you, um, you know, you have money put in your account and, and so now I'm starting to register like, oh, you know, because he's like in California, he's saying he's in California, in California, and I'm like, I'm like, what? But you know, I don't trust you, so I'm not saying nothing on this phone because I don't know what's going on, right? So I was scared as hell, and and I was like, what is going on? So I, I, at first, I agreed to go. They wanted me to drive to Beaumont, just what I thought was weird. They wanted me to drive to Beaumont um, to sit in, a, in in whatever that federal building was on a recording line, talk to him, that IRS agent, 
the the uh, U.S. prosecutor, the prosecutor on my case, um, and like in the DEA. I'm like DEA. <laughs> I ain't got nothing to do with no drugs. Like, what y'all talking about, right? So, um, at first I was like, okay, yeah, I'm gonna go. But then as I thought about it, and I was like, man, no, I ain't got no attorney. Like, I'm not. Why would I thought they was just fishing? Like, why would y'all, if they, if it was that serious, then come to my house, right? Y'all feds, right? Come to my house. Like, I don't. Why am I gonna drive three hours, use my little bit of gas money that I ain't got to come talk to y'all on a recorded line? No. So he called me the day I was supposed to go. And they didn't fly in. They was going to be on, on video. Mm. So he called me. And I said, look, I just don't feel comfortable coming to talk to y'all. I don't know what y'all got going on. I don't have nothing to do with that. Um, he's like, you have money. Put in your account from Florida. And I'm like, from Florida? And then, you know, I had a cousin. So my cousin, if he, got, he was playing baseball at the time. Uh, we were still cool back then. And I'm like, well, I just was with him. He like he from Florida. Like I'm thinking out loud, like trying to piece this together because I didn't know that the money was coming from Florida because I was I was in California, right? So I'm not knowing, I'm not understanding what's going on. And so I'm thinking they just fishing trying to find. So I was like, well, if y'all already know who these people are and y'all got this case sold up, what do you need me for? I didn't I had got married at the time i'm, I'm working i'm I, I don't even talk to nobody no more so okay yeah let me, god damn this is some good ass stuff <laughs> <laughs> so i want to back it up a little bit so how long were were you involved with them or going back to california how long was that it was that in a six month period like i went i went in like um june that year it was 2013 2013 june i went one week and then in august and then by the time they came in, it was the end of 2014. So I didn't have to come on over. I got married. So this was within at least a two-year right. stretch. From six right. months, you going to California, and then you feel something ain't right. you like, I'm done. I'm done, yeah. You go live with your mom. You get your life together. A year and a half passed. You didn't got married. You didn't moved on. You Are you still in contact with these people at all? No. Okay, and then that's when you get the call from Ms. Michael. Yeah, I mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay, and so do you ever go to Beaumont or whatever happens? No, I never went. So that conversation, um, I told them, I said, when they started talking about Florida, and I was like, well, you know, I'm trying to figure out something, and I heard, Like somebody was recording. Yeah. I said, okay, well, I will not be coming. I don't have nothing to do with this shit. Y'all seem like y'all got who y'all need, so why are you bothering? And he said, oh, you're not coming? Okay, guess what? You will see us again. I said, what does that mean? I will see you again. I ain't seen you in the first place. He said, you will see us again. And I hung up the phone. And about a month later, my, I had a dream. I have I have prophetic dreams at times. Sometimes I'm not, they're not prophetic. Sometimes I had a dream that I, I, was, I was in a in a, in a building and I couldn't get out basically that was our kind of ability that I was for this time but um because of this case but about a month later um I'm at work at Enterprise checking this old lady in the car regular day right I'm trying to have a great day it's nice out I'm trying to boost myself up right mm-hmm. to go to work and I see this truck like lifted blacked out pull up move like on the curb now, mind you, there was a truck, Enterprise has a truck section, right? And it was right next to 
that the building I worked at. So I'm like, ah, damn, because my homeboy worked there, and I was like, oh, he done put somebody in a bad truck. They coming up here mad. I go to check the lady in. They say they call my name. He hop out big like cock. He's a dude or whatever, right? He don't have no identifying factors on the truck. Had no identifying factors on it. He says, are you such and such a normal human being? I'm like, yeah. He does like this with his finger, like like a little kid, like come here. So mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I'm checking the lady in. Come on, lady in, whatever. I walk over to him. He snapped. I had a clipboard in my hand back then before Enterprise had the little tablets. You had to write it down on the clipboard, and um. He snatches the clipboard, spins me around, and here come two IRS agents, a, a woman and a male, and he's like, you know, the cheap jackets they be having that have IRS on the back or whatever. And they tell me I think that I'm under arrest. You got, you got a warrant for your arrest. I'm under arrest. I'm like, what? So, at my job, though. Yeah. Like, y'all could have came to the house. Like, that just shows you, like, their intent is to always embarrass you. It's unnecessary, right? So, um, I go, they, they, I said, well, okay, well, if I'm under arrest, can you get my stuff? Like, I need, you know, because I didn't know if I was going to get out. I didn't know what was going on. So, the woman, you know, she's got me in handcuffs, and she's like, I'm trying to point to her where my stuff is. And she grabbed it. And I'm like, woman, I'm not trying to run. I'm really just trying to show you, can you get my purse? Can you get my stuff? Um, and so, they ended up getting my stuff. Um, they keep saying, oh, you know, read me my rights or whatever. And they put me in the front of this truck, and they, they I'm handcuffed in the front seat, which is totally illegal, and they strapped me with a seatbelt in. And um, Mr. Cock Diesel, you know, he's calling in. They got a big-ass picture of my driver's license up there, and he's calling in saying, we got her. We got her. And um, they're trying to talk to me, and, and I'm like, I have nothing to talk to y'all about. I'm not What? Like, no. So we wrote in silence, and they took me to the federal courthouse in Lake Charles. Um, they took me down under, like, you know, there's so many trap doors in the courthouse. Uh, it's crazy. Um, and they start questioning me. And I'm like, there was no recording. They weren't recording anything. Um, they were writing it down. It was one, one female IRS agent and male. And I'm like, okay, but you ask me all these questions. What are my charges? Like, what am I here for? She didn't know. She started looking through some papers, like, um, fumbling through papers. And she was like, she finally got to me. She said, uh, conspiracy to structure financial transactions. What does that even mean? Yeah, what is? What? So they started questioning about, oh, in California, you know, but there's nothing there. They're not showing. You know, you know, you see it in the movies, like, they pulling out the receipts, like, whoop, 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 you was this, this, this. They not showing me nothing. They just writing stuff down on a piece of paper on a tablet. And finally, I guess, after I didn't give them, you know, what they wanted, what she was doing was she kept going outside. So I'm in a holding cell. And they coming in and they, they question me. She keep going outside calling the the agent. So y'all are, they, they got IRS agents from New Orleans. Y'all not even on this case. Why didn't y'all come down here? You know what I'm saying? Like, so she going out, calling, talking to him, coming back in, going back out, talking to him. So I guess I didn't give them the information that they wanted. Um, she says, okay, well, this is over, da, da, da. So they finally give me a public defender who comes over and slides underneath the jail cell um, some, some paperwork. And she said, this is this is the complaint. At that time, it wasn't even a full indictment. And the, and the, a lot of people don't know until you get caught up in the system at a different level. So 
the complaint was what went up and the judge signed off on them to arrest me. But in this complaint, that's when I started looking for names, right? So I looking for people that I know. I did see one name. I'm like, okay, I know that person. I don't know who these people are. How many names were in the complaint? Uh, Roughly. Probably 20. And you only knew one person? One person. That was the girl who introduced you? You did, oh, her name wasn't even on there? No. Um, and then there were other names that were like me that were used, like bank accounts that were used, right? And so the public defender comes over, she's like, I don't really know what's going on, but you're probably looking at 20 years. She's like, let me go find out, because in here it doesn't show that you're being charged with any drugs. Um, let me go find out. So I'm, and mind you, I'm sitting in a cell. Cops are all caca, kicking, playing down there. Like, and I'm just like, this is crazy. Um, then another cop comes up and tells me that, um, you know, well, you're about to get booked and you're going into general population. Are you in any gangs? Are you like all of that shit they do? And I'm like, bruh, I'm not. Cause I look like I'm in work. And so she comes back and she's like, oh, no, you're not being charged with anything. You're just charged, charged with one count. So I go up before the judge. She, <laughs> this attorney, it's just funny because, like, if there's any public defenders, listen, just be careful how you talk to people. Like, she's going to tell me, she's going to tell me, I'm having the worst day of my life. The public defender said that to you? Yeah. Why While you I'm was... handcuffed in court, like, okay, haha, me too. Like, so the judge was angry because nobody knew what was going on. The prosecutor came in and he's like, I don't know. Like, she's like, you telling me y'all went and got this woman from her job, brought her in my courtroom, and y'all don't know why she here? Like, and she's like, we don't operate like this. She's like, obviously, because by that time, they had had what they, the, like, the pretrial probation officer came and interviewed me. And he's like, basically, this is to show the judge whether or not you can be released on your own cognizance and you know um so that you would show up to court and so i did the interview how long i've been there how long i've been working how long all of that so the judge was like she's been here a year she ain't even got a ticket and you know like she was upset like we don't we don't operate like that in this courtroom so basically she's like look i don't really know what to tell you but i do know that you're gonna have to go to california and go to court i'm gonna release you on an unsecured bond of twenty five thousand dollars which means i didn't have to put no money up right then um she said you're gonna have to report to you know your pre-trial probation officer who was a guy who came in the cell and talked to me and they let me out that was a, i've never seen nothing like that in my life in less than four hours i was i was a jump boys hopped out on me went down to the federal courthouse got questioned in the end release in less than four hours. So if they didn't have no charges on you, why why do you need to go to California? Well, the so so basically the complaint turns into an indictment. So she mm -hmm. was saying she didn't know what was going on because it was out of her district. It wasn't her district, so she don't the know. Judge. Right. Mm -hmm. She don't know. She said just stay in touch with your probation officer, and then you know you're gonna have to go to court in California for your appearance um, in 14 days. And so in 14 days. I had to go to California and appear for the judge there. Fly from Louisiana to California mm -hmm. to go appear on something that you a year and a half removed from. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so when you show up to California, that is... So when you show up to California, are you still, like, 
what the fuck is going on or or do you have a little bit more information? I know what it's from now, right? Mm-hmm. I still don't know what the hell I did. I Googled conspiracy to structure financial transactions and majority of the people who got indicted or charged or convicted were wealthy And so what it is is that and most people who are not wealthy or born or working with names don't know this. Or you know, drug dealers. It was a law that was created um, in the early 2000s to catch people, drug dealers or whatever, um, with large transactions. So anytime now, anytime you make a deposit of $10,000 or more, the bank has to fill out this form and send it to the IRS, right? So now they get this form and say, okay, this money's coming in. It could be legit, right? But if you file your taxes and you're not paying this money, they can come back and say, da 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 da. Um, this is not knowledge to most people. So, like, let's say I gave you $40,000. And you like, okay, well, I'm going to stack this. I'm gonna, Today I'm going to go put five in. Next week I'm going to put six. The following week I'm going to put five. That's structure. You can't do that. My my question is, how would they know when I got it? They don't. That's what I'm saying. So how do they even know if it's structured or if I'm just accumulating this money over this period of time? They don't. But if you're accumulating money over time, then they still, I guess, to them it reflects in your taxes. I don't know the back end of that. What mm-hmm. I do, I, that's what I learned in that time frame when I Googled. I Googled. Nobody told me nothing. Mm-hmm. So when I Googled it and started looking up different cases, right, there was wealthy people who would have money or they want money from gambling or they want, you know what I'm saying? Like people were trying to conceal the amount of money that they were making from the IRS so they wouldn't get taxed. So it's always going to be about money, especially for the IRS involved in my case, right? Um, but that's when I found out, too, uh, when I saw the complaint that so what they were doing is getting weed in California where it was legal and shipping it back to Florida. So the money that you was giving them, they were buying weed with that money and then mailing it back to mailing Florida? weed back to Florida. And so they trying to put this on you? So originally I was just charged with the, the conspiracy to structure, so the financial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is what. It all comes down to me not cooperating with them in the manner that they wanted me to. Because they knew I was not the big fish in this case. They knew that. They had already been investigating these people for two years. For my little couple weeks, That y'all knew that I was not the main person. But because I took a stand and said, I'm not coming to talk to y'all without an attorney. They said, oh, we're going to show you today because we're the government. And that's what we can do. That's what they do. That's what these people do. And it's like you did something to them. Like you, you took their money shot they dog or something. You know what I'm saying? They take it personal. I don't know where they find these people that work in government, but you know, that's just the way that they are. And so how much time have you been doing? Two years. So it's it's so deep. That's why when my documentary comes out, like it's so deep, it's so many levels. So when I go to California, I had a public defender um, who got assigned to my case. I thought he was going to be the judge there says, well, she's not a threat. You got, I have to turn in my passport. She's not a flight risk. She got a job. You know what she's supposed to do. 
Um, you know, she's not a drug addict. I don't even drug test her. Um, just, you know, make sure that you come to court. So I get the public defender and I think he be helpful, right? Um, he's like, oh, well, we're waiting on discovery, which discovery is basically just a legal term for um, evidence. They sent me two DVDs, two discs, you know, of evidence. Um, I'm going through it all, right? Come to find out, it wouldn't even send me all. I've seen everything, right? I've seen all the money. It's millions, millions of dollars. Um, so they sent to your account? Or no, is it no, 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 everybody, oh, okay. everybody, everybody. So I was charged with 200, I think it was 208,000. Below 200,000, that's what they charged me with. Um, but no, they have ends, they have mansions. They were shipping, they were dumb as hell for this. They were shipping, uh, Weed. like they weren't even like concealing it like y'all putting it in a trash bag with a t-shirt like in a in a trash can and shipping it you know so there were there were packages that were intercepted um you know and they investigated this whole over, over two years so there's all this information there's um you know the person that i do like they had a lot of people involved so i don't know why they decided i mean now i get it because you know you never know why you're going through stuff but god allowed me to go through that so i could be a voice for this but at the time, I'm like, I don't, I don't get it. Like y'all, I, like I'm, y'all know something? Y'all know I'm finna be rich? Like what? What do you like? What do you mean? Like so, this attorney, this public defender, um, he calls me and says, oh, "I wasn't supposed to send you that. Can you send that back?" <laughs> so yeah, I sent it back, but trust me, I got copies. <laughs> um, he calls me about six months. So now, oh, so they want me to take a plea deal. <clears throat> Excuse me for two years. Everybody taking plea deal on the case, you take a plea deal. This is what triggered my mama's a plea deal. Why would I take a plea deal? So I said, all right, send me the plea deal. Sends me the plea deal. It's like four pages. Money not mine. Bank accounts not mine. Cars not mine. Guns not mine. Pounds of meat not mine. Why would I sign this? Why would I put my name on this? And at the very bottom, it says, if you sign this deal, you will give up all of your appeal rights. So not only am I saying something that I didn't do, but I'm giving up my right to appeal because y'all don't know what y'all doing. And a lot of these courtrooms, they don't know what they're doing. That's why so many people are wrongfully incarcerated, right? So I said, no, I'm not. I'm not signing this deal. So uh, some months go by. I get a call from the same public defender right still on my case talking about, oh, they're going to supersede the indictment with drugs. So I said, they can supersede anything they want. I know I didn't have anything to do with that. Um, and I never lied about that. I, I, it was, I went and got the money. How am I lying? It's me. It's my account, my social. Like, mm -hmm. I did it, you know? So with that with that one count, I felt like I had a chance. I'm like, I could beat this. Because, in you know, as I was doing my own, um, investigation into it and like studying it, there was four pieces that they had to prove in in that one charge, right? That one count was that one, the money was in an American bank, which, yeah, it was, it was in my name. Um, and the other one was that um, they had to prove that I had knowledge that what I was doing was illegal and that they had to prove that I knew that the money was coming from an illegal source. I can't remember what the fourth one was, but so they could only put one. So I was like, I got this. We're gonna fight this, right? So when he came with that though, I was like, see, I don't trust you. What's up with that? Like you keep calling me trying to push this deal on me, like you're supposed to represent me. Right? So he he disappears. I don't hear nothing from him. 
about another, they never supersede the indictment on drug charges, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. So then about, <laughs> excuse me, about six months later, um, I get a call from my cousin, one cousin who I was like, oh, I got a cousin in Florida, like, that one cousin, please fed, flew, he's a baseball player, flew from California to Florida to him and told him that I was on the run, and I told him that he gave me this one. So now, they're attacking my family. So what happened was, they went through all my bank accounts, right? My cousin, when he was cool, he was going on a trip. I didn't have a passport. I was like, bro, I'm broke. You rich. Like, you want to go on this trip with you? Gotta give me some <laughs> Normally, he give me cash because he had cash. At that particular time, he didn't have cash. He wrote me down for the check. So they looked up that check, got his account information. The rich people, they checked and looked like our checks. Got that account information and uh, reached out to his accountant at the time, and then they they came him up. So I, to me, he said, oh, they came, the FBI and all this other stuff, which I, I don't talk to you no more, but the FBI came, and I'm like, bro, the FBI ain't even on my case. Like, you believe in these people over me? Like, you didn't even call me to see how I was doing. Like, I'm not on a run, dude. Like, I'm here. Like, these people are lying. And he was like, well, I can't help you. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, you know, you just need to turn yourself in, and I'm testifying against you, and I ain't, I don't even have time. It's in the middle of the season. Um, but he said, I make $200,000 every time I step out on the field. I don't, I don't got com time to come testify against you, but I, I will, and I am. So this is Junior? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was that was very hurtful to me, you know, because mm -hmm. I was like my brother, and it was like, damn, now you can turn my own people against me. Like, I never said that to them. Like, I never, my I never, they thought, and they people ask mine, that I was gonna get up here on the stand and testify and say that, but I've never said that. So why would I get up there and testify and put my own blood into something that I, you know, I know you had nothing to do with this. Like, mm -hmm. you know, so after that, that's when I start calling up there to the public defender's office, calling up there like, what's going on, what's going on? So the second public defender, so when they knew I was going to trial, I had another public defender come on. Shout out to Jerome, he's in, in Cali. Um, he came on, so I'm calling him like, what's going on, da, 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 da. He don't even really know, right? So they doing all of this underhanded stuff, underhanded stuff, and um, so come to find out, you know, all of that happened with that. I, he tells me, well, they're offering you another plea if you want to take the plea, because, you know, they were gearing up for trial. And I said, I'm not taking it. He said, well, I'm going to send it to you. Take some time, look at it, call me on Monday. That's right. I read it again. I could do it. I could do it. I called him. I said, I can't do it. He said, I don't blame you. I, I don't blame you. And I said, you tell him not to want to try. So about a month in April, my trial started in May. April, I get an email. No. They have superseded the indictment and charged you with 13 more counts. I am now facing over 100 years of officers on the back. But don't they have to prove all these counts? Or is There's it a federal? government. They don't have to prove shit. They don't have to prove anything. Let me tell you, I ask for every single thing. Because here's the thing about indictments. You 
nor your attorney can be present to defend you. So it is the government and the government story and the patient picture that they paint portraying that to the jury. And that is all. That is why it is one-sided and it should really be thrown out. There should, that should never, ever be allowed to go because here's what happened. I asked for the transcripts from that jury proceeding. So they start going on and on and on. One of the jury jurors asked, they raised their hand, they asked, did she know what she was doing was illegal? From that moment, everything was redacted, which means blacked out. Mm -hmm. So from that moment, they started lying and redacted it. So I have no idea what lies they told this jury to get these indictments. Mm -hmm. And they, the way that they threw that indictment together so fast, they ended up having to throw out two of the counts because they put the wrong information on the account, information on, on the on the count. So I, it was 11 counts that I was found guilty of that trial. <sighs> And at that point, where you like, what the, what the fuck is going on? I'm at that point. I'm depressed. I'm I'm lost. I'm in my prayer closet every day. I'm asking God, how, why, like, how is this possible? Why is this going on? You know, at that time, I was living in Atlanta. I was trying to pursue my dreams. Things were kind of looking up for me. I was working on different sets, and you know. Um, rubbing shoulders and elbows with people and I was writing for a magazine at the time the editor in, uh, of that magazine had me going to all of these you know different events and so I'm starting to build a name for myself out there and then I'm just like I don't, I don't get it but it was one of the times that I got the closest to God and I remember I remember um, looking at so there was like the case paperwork was like this tall right of all the paperwork I'm in my prayer class I got verses up on the, on the wall I'm writing stuff down and I and I'm asking God, like, please tell me what's going to happen. So I remember, you know, and I was just opening up my Bible. And I remember in the Bible, I don't know what verse it was, but it said that, you know, the people who, who come against you will be made to look like liars. And that if you believe with all your heart that this uh, mountain shall pass and be broken down, it will. So I remember speaking to that in the papers. They probably would think I was crazy if they really saw that. You know, but these are the type of things when you're a believer that you do. And I believe what I'm looking at that paper, and I said, I believe with all my heart that this be cast into the sea, that this mountain will not bury me. Now, did I know I was going to do two years? No. I thought I was going to beat my case at trial. But I knew with all my heart that what those words said on that paper was not who I was. And that the lies that they told could not hold weight on me. Right? And I just remember being like, God, if you give me goodness, I will always give you glory. So I did two years, but I beat my case. I'm one of the two percent of the population who wins a or prison population, I should say, incarcerated federal prison population who wins a case on appeal. Two percent, ninety-eight percent of all federal cases end in appeal. How did you end up winning your, your case? So, in trial. Ooh, we could be here for three hours if I talk about <laughs> that. Okay. I mean, give us a short version. So. <laughs> In trial, um, it, it was three days. Um, it was in Fresno, California, because the, the main people in, in my case were out of Fresno. I had never actually been to Fresno. Um, where I was at was like in Sacramento and stuff when I went to California. I don't remember ever being in Fresno. Um, just the jury selection, what, there was no black people. Not one black person to even choose from. Um, in California, it's a very carceral state. A lot of people who were on the jury um, worked in 
in prisons or had family that worked in prison or had family that were police officers. People literally were telling the judge that I can't be fair in this. They still kept them. Right? And the craziest thing, because I, I, I do have a book that will be coming out that will detail all of this, but one of the jurors went to college with the IRS agent. They they did get him off because you know we have the opportunity to tell to say get get him off get him off. Um, the one lady that I wanted to get off, my attorney Jerome was like, no, she should stay on, but she ended up being a foreman, and that's the one who was happy that she went there. Uh, a foreman. A foreman is the person who's over, mm-hmm. who's over, who's like when they go behind closed doors and make the decisions. Uh, that's okay. the one who's leading. That's the one who reads it. That's the one who's in charge. Gotcha. You know. Um, so over this time, you know, so many, so many lies are being told. They're pulling up all my bank information. They're painting this picture of me. They said, um, the prosecutor, I'll never forget. He literally was like the devil in flesh. I just remember like literally seeing the devil in his eyes and saying that I was, um, uh, basically like a queen pen. I had, I was selling, I had pounds of marijuana in Atlanta, um, I even sent a, a package to California um, that never made it with another co-defendant who lied. All of these co-defendants, I think it was like eight or nine, who lied on me. I, did not, I never saw them. Never met them. The one co-defendant that I did know, he was supposed to testify. That was her main witness to testify. He lied on me to get less time. My attorneys found out right before my trial was about to start that he had been selling weed in Florida. Still in seven weeks, five on free trial. The government knew about it. They did nothing about it because they wanted him to testify against him. So my attorney brought all of the stuff, showed all of the testimonies. And the judge even threatened to throw him in, in, in contempt because he said, You need to push this trial date back or throw this case out because this is not how this is supposed to be. We need time to investigate this. Mm-hmm. And so the prosecutor said, Well, We'll pull him as the main witness. We'll pull him. We won't have him take the stand, but you can't tell the jury why. We, we won't have him as the witness. So he never got up there to testify against me. But the main witness that testified, that basically the main snitch, got up there, was telling all what, of what they were doing, right? What they were doing. But it didn't make sense to me because your girlfriend had a car, your mama had a house. Where are they? Where are these people? that nobody of these, not, none of these people were indicted, right? Mm-hmm. And so I just remember the prosecutor asking him, um, have you, have, did you ever meet the defendant? And he looked at me and I remember being, there was like a big metal jug of water. And I'm like, I'm going to jail today, Lord, because this man said, okay, allow me, this is being swung across this court. And he looked at me and he said, no, I never seen her, but I heard from this coach and you heard from this coach about a black girl named Ashley. Oh, that's my first name. Mm-hmm. A black girl named they never define me. They never say, oh, she's light skinned or she had this or she looked like this body stature, nothing. And that went in court. So I'm curious to know if you are such a small fish in this whole big scheme of things what do you think the reason why they really just kept coming after you is it because you were so defiant in taking their plea deals or playing with you know their game I'm just like because I don't for me I'm just wondering like 
you were you were just a peon in this whole little thing. Why are they coming after you so so hard and so you know what I mean? It's about numbers, convictions. Mm. Um, my attorney shared with me that that particular um, district they targeted women and women of color. So it's not about the truth. The court of law is never about the truth. It's about conviction. They make names for themselves. The prosecutors make names for themselves. It's the same thing. I don't know if you heard about the case of the judge who was sending black kids to jail because he was getting kickbacks on the, the youth prison facility. I looked that up. Yeah, I want to know about that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is what they do. They That's what they do. Yeah. So when, when is the you said uh, mentioned it earlier? You have a documentary coming out about your whole story. When when is that, and where can we the people find it? So it's not out yet. We're still fundraising, raising funds. It costs money to shoot these films. Um, you can go to blackbutterflies.doc.com. Um, hopefully, it will be out next year. You can see the trailer now. We shot our first set of interviews earlier this year. Um, but in order what to do this film the way that I want to do this film, you know, it's cost, it's going to cost, so we're still raising that money. But um, it's basically going to expose the criminal legal system for these specific reasons, these tactics, and these lies, and deceit. You shouldn't have to have deceit and lies and redact the truth in order to get conviction. These are people's lives on the line. You know, that day um, when I went in to get, for them to read, um, you know, the final saying of the court, right, uh, when they found me guilty. I didn't know that I wasn't going to walk out of that courtroom. Everybody else in my case got to turn themselves in. And mind you, I was the only black person on my case. Um, everybody else got to turn themselves in. And when... Um yeah, so I didn't, everybody got to turn themselves in. So I'm thinking, you know, my attorney didn't tell me, like, oh, you, you can go to jail, you can go to jail right now. Um, so when I went in, I was like, okay, even if I'm found guilty, you know, at least I'll have two months to get my stuff together, you know, put my two weeks in and work, put some money up, whatever. Um, when they read that verdict, um, he remanded me right then. It's not just right then. Uh, and they took me behind the trap door in the courtroom and they took me Protesters getting arrested and coming in, you know, it was a lot going on at that time. Um, and I just remember that Psalm 23 was the only way I got through that. And I got up there to the cell, and you know, it's literally like that loud clanking noise. And I just remember walking in and I said, God, please lead me to where I need to go. And out there first, I was feeling like the cell 11. 11 is one of the divine numbers for me. And I remember I went to walk past it. And some said, Go back. And when I turned around, there was one bunk. It was four, you know, two bunks in there, and this one beauty cell, and it was a woman down. And it was Miss Vicky. I'll never forget her. It's the end of my life. Like, I was like, can I, can I come in here? 
And she said, I'm not with that nonsense. And I said, well, I ain't with it either. <laughs> so she, let, she was a very godly woman. That woman really helped me get through that, that time. And then, you know, that started my journey, my incarceration. And I, I saw a lot there. I saw women get beat up, um, jump to get into gangs. I saw um, very demonic spirits in, in, in people. That was the first time I really saw that 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 my, that veil happened with me. Um, and I saw that in, in, every day. It was a lot. And then I, I was transferred to other facilities. I went through maybe four or five places before I finally came to Texas and ended up at Carswell because I asked to be in Texas because that's where my family was and I wanted to make sure that my people Mm-hmm. Um, but my attorney, he stayed on my case, which is very, very rare. Like, very rare. Um, and he. What's his name? Brother. His name is Jerome. That's Jerome. Yeah. yeah, Jerome. Hopefully, shout out to Jerome. I reached out to him on Facebook. I need him in my documentary too, because I, I don't know if he can do it, because he still is, you know, a federal public defender. But I think his input um, is very imperative. Like, you know, he it, it, it made a name for him when he won my appeal, because it just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that he even stayed on my case, he knew, he saw, he saw that what they were doing wasn't right. So I was just so grateful that God put him in in my alignment of my journey so that he could help out my case. Because there's so many women who don't have that, who attorneys don't care. Um, I mean, I encountered women who didn't even speak English and they thought they were signing for seven years and they got 17 years, right? Or they couldn't really read what the what the paperwork said or. You know, they, they had a translator, but the translator didn't really tell them what they were doing. I mean, when I got my time, I, I obviously I thought it was a. Okay. Um, when I got my time, you know, obviously I thought it was like the end of, the end of my life. Um, it really was just the beginning, but when I started encountering women who were looking at 10 years, 15 years, 25 years, like, like it made me really realize, like, this little 42 months which is like three and a half years, like I can do that, right? But I was in county jail um, for six months before I even went to bed. So that was the whole situation. Goodness gracious, man. Goodness gracious. I, I can't even imagine doing a fourth of your life. Like, I can't even imagine you are, you are super strong. Um, and I know, you, I don't know what the, the plan is for your life, but I see that your message is going to be expanded, and we want to help, you know what I mean, expand that message, and we want to, the, the, to fund the movie, I want, I want to make sure that we put the website out there so people okay. who are moved by this story want to see the documentary, and yeah, man, like, and, I, it's, and it's not just my story, right, like, that was the biggest thing, right? Like when I was going through it, I started documenting all of this, right? Because I knew, I said, this ain't right. And so it was about me at first, and then it became bigger to me. And so the women that are in my documentary, um, their stories are so powerful, right? So there's one woman whose boyfriend was selling drugs. She was 23 years old. Her boyfriend was selling drugs. And as young black women, we think, you know, like, oh, he's selling drugs. That can't, that can't deal with me. I don't see it. I don't know it, you know. They gave her more time to them. They gave her almost, they gave her like 35 years. She was 35 years. She ended up going 14 minutes before she got granted. Her 
right, so there's, she, she was a, Kim Kardashian was one of the people that was helping with her case. In 2020, there was like a group of women that were sent a massive time that got clemency. So that's a woman who's in my documentary. Then we have Kita Haynes, who, similar, my attorney told me about her when I was in county jail. He said, you need to look up, you know, see this woman. He sent me some information about her, her boyfriend selling weed. She thought he had a cell phone store. She working in the store signing packages. They indicted her. She ended up doing almost seven years. This woman goes to prison, federal prison, gets out, goes to law school, becomes a public defender in the state of Tennessee, and then runs for Congress. The book is out right now um, from prison to politics. Keita Haynes, please go, please go cop it. Um, and then the other woman, her father uh, had a business, a, a health, homemade home care business that he put in her name, she was like 18 or 19. And um, whatever he had going on that was illegal, whatever happened down the line, they ended up um, indicting her. She didn't even know, like, one of the things, like, I don't know what to tell you. They, they punish you for not knowing. Like, they think you're just supposed to know. Um, she ended up doing almost 10 years, her whole life gone. And then now comes out and has $8 million restitution. And that's another, that's a whole other episode because that's a campaign we're doing for how to end restitution. Women have, there's one woman I know has half a billion dollars in restitution, so you can do your time. I would have had $200,000 restitution, but because I beat my case and I won, um, I, didn't, I didn't have that. But yeah, it, it's a lot. It's deep, and I think that the world just needs to know these stories. Yeah, God, dang. Oh my goodness. This is like, thank you, Star. I appreciate you sharing your story with us, man. This is eye-opening. As far as like the laws on certain things like restitution, and I know Biden, I just seen that he passed something recently um, about, who was it? It, it don't make sense. I don't, I, listen, I, I know one thing about these presidents, I'm not really big on politics, but I know when it comes to incarceration and, and getting out, we don't care who signs the paperwork, right? We, we don't care because like Trump got a lot of issues, but a lot of women I know got out because of right? So there's that. But Biden, um, what he was talking about doesn't fully make sense. So I would like for them to fully um, explain that because if you are in federal prison, there is not a minor possession in federal prison. In feds, you are doing time. That is numbers. That is pounds. That is kilos. That is whatever that looks like, right? So there is no minor possession in federal, unless you are on federal property. So a lot of a lot of native, and you know, coming up with indigenous people day on Monday, um, I think I put this out there. If you are on native land, that is federal land. So a lot of the women or men who become incarcerated on federal land it is automatically a federal charge. So that that person might have a possession charge because they're on federal land, but there is no such thing as a, a, a minor possession charge in federal. It's up to the state. So that's what he was trying to do, decriminalize minor charge, minor possession in federal. I don't know what federal he was trying to do. Prison. I don't know what he was trying to say. I need somebody to make it make sense, but what I do know, on, I mean, it's a good start, right, to even voice that as the president, but it starts at the state level. It's not a federal. Now, go and make um, marijuana legal on a federal level and then release everybody that's in prison for weed right now. That is where it starts. 
that's not, on a state level, like, you know, that's where you get possession charges and things of that nature on a state level. It's not a federal level. So I, I really don't know um, what he does with that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How how can um um besides the the documentary that you got how else can people support you? What other ways that can people support so, you? So, uh, I mean, as far as my production, you you know, in, in filmmaking, um, I was a writer on season two of Wash. So shout out to my Wash crew. Um, you can watch both seasons on Amazon Prime right now. Everybody on that show is from Dallas all the way from. Uh, directors, writers, producers, everybody at the Dallas Driven Show. Um, everything was filmed here. And then um, I am the communications director for an organization called the Lady of Hope Ministries, the LOHM, where we have an epic vision to end poverty and incarceration in women and girls globally. So when I talk about the, that glory, gotta give God that because not only did He bring me out of that situation, but now I am working as a communications director for an organization that specifically helps women and girls with them impacted by incarceration. So that's a 501 free nonprofit. You can go donate. Um, you know, follow me on IG, the Royal Starling. You can follow uh, our organization, the LOHM. Uh, we have a lot of major things coming up. We have major partnerships. You know, we were funded by the NFL. We work with Virgin. Um, who else do we work with? We, we got um, I could be wrong, but she's she's been paving that path. Really, you know, she's given a platform. So um, I came through this program, Faces of Women in Prison. Um, that's through her organization, and that basically helped me hone my speaking skills in order to um, get in these spaces and these platforms to make change, right? To get legislative change, to share my story, and share the impact of what's going on um, behind prison walls. Mm, okay. Yeah. We're going we to leave all your information and then uh, all of the uh, Starling's contact information will be in the description below. So make sure you go down there and check that out. Thank you again, Starling. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yo, man, this has been the Tap In Podcast. Thank y'all for tapping in. Go.